This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Well, did you watch the news this week? I don't even know what to call the news anymore. In the olden days, uh, kids, you may not know this, but in the olden days, uh, someone would sit in front of a camera and tell you what happened today, and we called that the news. Isn't that weird? They didn't tell you what they thought about it. They didn't tell you an opinion to take about it or create a narrative about it. So anyway, those days are gone. Um, And I want you to know that as I watched the images that came out of Washington this week, it it was such a mixed bag. Because on the one hand, okay, a group that hijacked a narrative. There were friends of mine that were there, by the way, that weren't dressed in Viking hats and going into the... My friends were there worshiping and praying and, uh, and yeah, protesting. That's something we get to do in this country. It's absolutely a, a right that you have. And in the middle of all that... And by the way, if your leader wears a Viking hat, can I just say, you need maybe rethink the movement that you're in. That's just personal opinion. It's mine. Um, I'm not, I guess I'm not really pro nor anti-Viking. I'm Viking neutral, but I just don't want the Viking guy, you know? Can you imagine if that's the guy that they're making the bronze statue of someday, you know, the insurrection of 2020 and the Viking hat guy? Like, what will they say, right? And I'm, I'm joking because it, it wasn't funny, right? What these guys were doing was violent. It was demonic. And it wasn't Jesus, uh, violence is not Jesus. If, you, if you're wondering, is this Jesus or not, and it requires you breaking through the door and people getting shot, okay, we've, we've, I can tell you that's not Jesus, okay? And at the same time, there's this other thing that was happening, so of the talking heads started to tell us what we're supposed to think happened today. They're the talking heads that said, and quite honestly, the talking heads took aim at a friend of mine named Steve Berger. Steve is a pastor at Grace Chapel right out in the country. Steve is a godly man. He loves the Lord. He loves his family. He loves Jesus. And I want you to know that I texted him last night saying, hey man, we just want you to know I've got your back. I want you to know that Conduit has your back. And that we can understand when someone who is a clickbait chasing journalist trying to get a, you know someone to click on their link. I, we understand that. We, we're, we see through that. That's not the Steve that I know and, and love. And as I thought about that, even today, what we're seeing if you can separate it, which is, there's never been a better time to be alive than to, right now to be able to hold two thoughts in your head at the same time, right? Because on the one hand, we've got Silicon Valley secular humanist billionaires that they're not speaking truth to power. They're speaking power to truth. And that's the exact opposite of what we should be doing in our society. We speak truth um, we believe that this is the truth, by the way, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that it's revealed in his word. We believe that. But I wanted to just say this just so you could hear my heart, and that is that I'm not interested in letting uh, secular humanist t- billionaires from Silicon Valley, journalists or politicians, give us the narrative that we are supposed to believe. Uh, if your organization is based on getting clicks so that you can get paid, which is what journalism is for a lot now, 
The, the business model is make you angry or make you sad. And if you do that, then you'll click on it. And that's how they get paid. That's the business model. I am not interested in letting that business model, we can't, we won't let that business model dictate the narrative for us at Conduit Church. Our narrative will be decided by the word of God. That's, and this is all we need. Like it's, there's a narrative in here of our need for a savior, our need not to change a system, but to change our hearts. And hearts changed hearts, changed systems. And as I think about what that looks like for us in these coming days, weeks, and months, we're only, what, six days in? Uh, or 10 days, I guess we had a... I lost a couple of days at the birthday party, if I'm being real honest. <laughs> you ever been to a 48-hour birthday party? That was lit. Um, is that what the kids are saying? Can someone... Is that, no? no. <laughs> it's not lit? Yeah, they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, well, it was fun. Um, <laughs> Here's what I, what I wanted to, I just wanted to communicate to you. There's a, a lot of narratives out there. There's a lot of competing. We're having like a, a historical moment every six minutes, it seems. Okay, humans were not made to live this way. So we're not going to chase the culture of outrage. We're not going to join the culture of umbrage. We're just going to continue to declare the gospel, continue to declare Jesus. And one of the greatest apologetics that we could ever do is not a well-crafted argument, is not me being witty, it's a unified church. A divided world needs a unified church. And this series that we just started, it feels a little, uh, I, I, don't, I guess it kind of aged well because it's kind of got the superhero thing, but it's the idea of these spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and Romans 12 were given to us to unite us, not divide us. And fascinatingly, in AD 49, okay, so this book of Romans was written somewhere around AD 57, give or take a year. That's important because in AD 49, okay, for you history lovers, Emperor Claudius ejected the Jewish people from the city of Rome. Now, if you're astute, you might know that this is Romans chapter 12, where we're going to be today book to the Romans. So what happens is in the church, have you ever like, um, like you grew up in church, you went away for a while, uh, graduated, whatever, you came back to the church you grew up in and, and it feels different than the church that you were. Does anybody recognize that feeling? So imagine if you were Jewish, okay, up till AD 49, the Christians in Rome were considered like a subset of Judaism. So now the Jews have been expelled from the city. Anti-Semitism is not new. It's demonic. It's from the pit of hell, and it started in Genesis 3. Expel the Jews. Now the church is no longer the people you know, but a lot of like Gentiles, like me, who are now in charge of the church for these next eight years. So they come back to a church that is somewhat not what they remembered, what they wanted it to be. So Paul spends 11 chapters of Romans, check this out, saying to them, Jews and Gentiles, this is how you're going to get along. The, the wages of sin is death, the Romans' road to salvation. He, he lays out the gospel, and he gets to chapter 10, 11, and 12, and he says, oh, but what about the Jewish people? All of Israel will be saved. If you're Jews, you're not left out of this. We're all in this together. That is the entire, like from Romans 1 to 11, he's saying to this church, here's how you can unite around what you believe. And at the same time this is going on, in AD 54, Claudius 
the emperor that sent the edict to get rid of the Jews dies unexpectedly. And now there are two people who are competing to be the emperor of Rome. One is a guy named Britannica. You might know him from his work in the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> it's Encyclopedia money, man. They're rich. The Britannica family. It's no, not true. The Britannica was the son, actual son of the emperor. But in the middle of all that, he has adopted another son named Nero, who was a nephew. And so what unfolds in Rome is a competition for who will be the emperor of Rome. This was a well, hard fought fight to get them in. And it turned, it was like poisonings and suicides. It was crazy what happened. But what I'm saying is that there was a point where, do you think that the people in Rome might've had an opinion about who they thought, if you're a Jesus person, they wanted to be the emperor. And interestingly enough, the one they wanted to be the emperor, maybe, I don't know, was Nero, because he said, Jews come back to Rome. Come on back to where we are. We don't know that part other than we know that for whatever reason, Nero let this, he was 17 years old. Can you imagine? If you're 17 right now, raise your hand. You're in charge of the country. The president of the United States, 17, good luck with that. Now, honestly, you'd probably do a better job. Anyway, um, there's a competition now. There's this division, and Paul is saying, in fact, he'll go on in Romans 14 to start talking, 13, 14, about government, uh, be obedient to the government powers that be, and people take that, and they will say, oh, we shouldn't even protest. But remember, Paul wrote this and then was uh, ultimately executed for disobeying government orders. So be careful how you take one passage and say you across the board uh, when it could mean something completely more profound than that. But he's saying to them, hey, there's all this stuff going on. The way that you're going to unite is not going to be around Britannica. It's not going to be around Nero. It's not going to be united even around Jew versus Gentile, it's going to be united around two things, how you believe and how you behave. So Romans 1 through 11 is how you believe. Here's the gospel. Romans 12 through 16 is how you behave. Love your enemies. Feed those who are hungry. Pour heaping coals on their head. He literally gives us a playbook for a church in the following chapters. And in the middle of all of that, he drops this little thing called spiritual gifts. And if you've got your Bible, would you, Romans 12 is where I want to start and finish today. Because in the middle of Romans 12, verses 3, 4, 5, he lays out these spiritual gifts. He starts with verse 1, offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, right? And transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And then he moves into that and says, and this is, once you do that, then you will know his will for your life, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. And what is his will? These seven gifts. It's really quite simple. It's not that complicated. These seven gifts. And they are, let's just read verse four. Let's actually start in five just for the sake of time today. So in Christ, verse five of Romans 12, though many, okay, we are many, Though Christ, we are many, uh, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. I want you, as you're reading this, to begin to think about these in terms of not as a some ethereal spiritual gift, but somewhere akin to a personality profile. It's not less than that. It's actually way more than that. 
But the word 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5, when it speaks of these gifts, it speaks of energema, this energy. It energizes you, that when you are in your gift, you are energized by it. Now with that, let's read. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. Uh, If it is leading, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul uses this language as a body, and a body does one thing. It works together. It unites us. Interesting, by the way, if you were thinking these, and I'm going to explain to you a minute each one of these real quickly. If you were to think of them as a personality profile, every one of you in this room has one of these. We are different, but together, right? The same, same body. And these are, if they're personality profile that God would say, I want to unite you using this. Wouldn't it be interesting if the enemy uses this stuff to divide us? And he does, by the way. Well, what happens a lot in churches is that the way that I lead in my gift might just not be the way you would lead in your gift. And so it actually ticks you off Oftentimes, it's not about Romans 1 through 11, what we believe. A lot of great church splits have happened with really good theology. But you end up with really good theology, and you end up a theological porcupine. You make a lot of great points, and nobody can touch you. But these used to unite us as a body. Wouldn't it be interesting if it was even more than that, not just in our church family to divide us? Wouldn't it be interesting if the enemy would use these to divide us as a nation? Go back in time with me to 2016. Russian collusion. Uh, I was in Haiti the night of that election. It was completely fascinating to watch an American election from a hotel bar in Haiti. It was the only place we could get CNN, which was the only channel I had, by the way. I would have certainly preferred some others. But, uh, but that night, we were watching this election unfold, and I had all this the collusion. And the, but do you remember a company in the middle of all this, and you would be forgiven for not remembering this, called Cambridge Analytica? Cambridge Analytica was the sketchy company from the UK that was being hired by political election, uh, political organizations to help them market to potential voters. Like, Darren, this is completely off the rails. Where are we going with this? They would go to your Facebook profile and scrape for information about what you like or don't like. And then target ads based on that. But that is not where they stopped. It's actually not even where they started. How many of you in the past few years have ever taken the, and nobody, by the way, almost nobody in the 10 a.m. would even admit to this. How many of you have taken the which Star Wars character are you Facebook quiz? Guilty, thank you. 10 a.m., they're all acting all cool. I didn't do that. Which which character from Friends are you? You remember that? Uh, Which I did a Bible one once, and it came up Mary Magdalene, so I don't know... (laughs) I'm actually, that's a true story. I don't know what that means. Still, still really seeking the Lord on that. Um, but Mary Magdalene is not who I am. But that was Cambridge Analytica. They were not just wanting to know which character of Star Wars you were, and they didn't want to just know what you liked or didn't like. They would combine that and then target ads specifically to you. The Guardian did a piece on this in 2017. Several places have talked about this. So when they would scrape your information, if you had a personality that was very forceful, for instance, okay, 
maybe on this one it would be visionary, uh, encourage, like, what, like maybe like you have a forceful personality. They would not just target that you like fly fishing and like your presidential candidate is going to say fly fishing and make fly fishing great again. They wouldn't just target that. They would target it through the lens of how you saw the world. That is 100% how they unfolded this election. So when you see that ad that I've circled there, that is a legitimate ad from Cambridge Analytica that would have gone to somebody who would have said they're a Christian, but they also would have been a very forceful, strong personality. And so their ad says, look up marriage and get back to me because tradition is not old-fashioned, GOP. Those ads were targeted specifically to people who had a, a, a confident and strong personality that also was a Christian. My point is, they didn't use these gifts, these personalities of how we're wired to unite us. They were using it to divide us. And that is from the pit of hell. God wants to use how you're made, how you're wired, not as a curse against you, but as a blessing for you. And so the first one in here is this one, it's called prophecy. There's a 1 Corinthians 12 prophecy. There is a Ephesians 4 prophecy. That's not what we're talking about. This one here, this word speaks of somebody who sees what is possible and just does it. In Haiti, Pastor Lafleur was that for us. I'm standing in Haiti. All I see is a bunch of rocks and trash. He sees a school. He sees a clinic. He sees uh, a church, a home for girls. 15 years later, there's a school, there's a church, there's a home for girls. But he lived and acted as if it was already there. That's the gift of visionary. In our church family, one of my favorite with this specific gift is our 24-year-old youth pastor's wife, Michaela, sorry. She's got that gift. And I'm telling you what, on a Wednesday night, there'll be 75 teenagers. And when that girl speaks, people listen because that's her gift. She is willing to speak up. She's willing to challenge. She's willing to, and it is a personality that is not a personality. It's this gift that God has put in you, that he is expecting you, asking you, trusting you to deliver to the world. Uh, famous people like around here, like I would say Dave Ramsey would be somebody that, you know, that's a guy that has a very forceful personality, right? Uh, and I would say that Steve Berger is that as well. And so what happens a lot in a church environment is Steve leads in a specific way because he's got this gift different than the way that I would lead in another gift. And people might get their feelings hurt because he did this way and I thought he should have done it that way. And what we end up doing whenever we say should is you're taking a should on your neighbor, and it is shaming language. Should is not from the gospel. That is a shaming language. So when you get into that, you see Steve's gift is visionary. My gift is not that. Then he and I, of course, are going to lead differently. And if maybe he's got you here for one purpose. He's got someone else there for another purpose. But our gifts are not at uh, conflict with each other. They're at tension that brings us together. Does this make sense? Okay, That's a visionary gift. Now, here's the thing. That's only one-seventh of the Jesus solution to this world. We need all seven of them. We don't get just one. If you got just one and nothing else is happening there, you're going to end up with an unhealthy situation. So the next one, in, as we'll just follow the order here, is this gift of serving, gift of... Uh, it's basically the gift of ministry is what it's called, which doesn't sound very exciting. It's deeper than that. It's this gift we call collaborator. It's just, you get crap done. It's my wife. We call her the VP of TCB. 
taking care of business. She gets it done, but she does it from her heart, which is why this idea of collaborating, because if she's walking down the hallway, I promise you she's walking to do something and she will recruit you, you've been warned. Every man for himself. Audrey is that. I saw her in here a minute ago. I think she left. But Audrey, our, our, our children, our pre-K, she is collaborator. They're the best because they do it from the heart. They're doing it with love, with compassion, and they're getting stuff done. A visionary without a collaborator around is just somebody running their mouth. You got to have somebody in there that knows how to get it done and not drop all the stuff and get multiple things done all at the same time. That's that gift. That's collaborator. In the Bible, there's one. Uh, her name is Dorcas. Isn't that just the best name? Aren't you just so grateful that your dad, mom, did not name you Dorcas? I mean, that is anybody <laughs> named Dorcas? No. Okay. Because in eighth grade, that's what I was. I was Dorcas. That's not a. It wasn't a compliment. But in the Bible, her name Dorcas Tabitha. That's what she did. She served the early church. She made clothes for widows. She served them. And when it says she died, the people were freaking out and they called Peter, come, raise her from the dead. This gift is the gift that you don't really see it happening when it's around you because they're busy doing everything you should have been doing, right? But they're getting it done so you don't notice it. But I'm gonna tell you when you notice it is when they're gone. When Peter died, by the way, you know what? How many people asked for him to be raised from the dead? None people. <laughs> but I say that to say that if you have this gift, know that you might be underappreciated, you might be unseen. But when you're gone, they do see you. And they saw him enough that Tabitha, let's raise you from the dead. And God was so good and so kind that she was raised from the dead with that. Your gift is incredibly important in this world. The third one is this gift that I would say that is mine. It's teaching. Sounds so exciting, doesn't it? It's this idea of connecting dots. I don't know how else to explain it. You connect ideas, you connect people. Part of what I do even with our conduit mission is I connect people who have a heart for getting clean water to somebody who has drilling wells in Africa. And all I do is, hey, well, you'd love this guy. You should meet this girl. She'd be loved. For 10 years, that's all we've done. And that, that gift has brought, at this point, just in 2020, Almost a million dollars have gone through the conduit from people that had a heart for whether it's education, whether it's the girls' home in Haiti. You have a heart here, and I'm connecting the dot to where you could be uh, able to deploy that gift on the other side. The gift of discerning just means that you're just constantly asking questions. It's, it's not that I'm smart. I assure you that is not it. It's just that I'm just really curious, and I won't let go until I figure it out. I just want to understand Got me in trouble a lot when I was a kid because I was constantly plugging stuff into outlets to see what would happen. Um, the answer, by the way, of what would happen is sparks, uh, lots of them. Um, and a miracle that I ever survived childhood. But that was just trying to connect dots of stereos, of boom boxes. Did you remember the boom boxes? Connecting those dots. And what I've done in the last 20 years of my life is I've aimed that gift at this Bible it's not that I'm that smart. I just literally, even the sermon today is me saying, wait a minute, why are there three lists of gifts? And why is one of them have like prophecies in all three of them, but mercy's only in one of them? I just couldn't let it go. And I just kept digging. That's what the gift of discernment, discerner is the fourth one. By the way, one, we need two, we need three, we need four, we need all seven of them to have a full Jesus response. This one, 
exhortation. Is, doesn't it sound very King Jamesy? Encourager. It's this idea of a person that literally just walks into the room and you feel better that they're there. Tim Bassanio is that to me. When Tim walks into a room, I mean, don't you just feel better? Like someone just gave you a vitamin B12 shot? I just feel better. And by the way, I think Edie's that too, which would be hilarious, a pair of, a pair of encouragers. But it's not just that, but it gives, it's like the courage that Tim and Edie have had to move through life somehow transfers to me. That I feel better. I feel like, oh, I can do this. Like this is, whether I can or not, like I feel like I can because that gift of encouragement is moving into me from them. And then there's this gift that I struggle with for the longest because the gift of giving, wouldn't you think that just means somebody that writes big checks? Just turns out it's not. Some of the largest one-time donations we've ever gotten for the mission have come from people that are uh, visionaries or encouragers. But the gift of giving, yeah, you might write a big check, but it's not that. It's this word is of imparting. Uh, it's why we called it imparter. The, the Greek word is that you are imparting of your soul to somebody, your preferences. Your, you don't even know. How do you feel? Where do you want to go to lunch? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Because you've given up those preferences in order to bring peace into somebody's life. That's what this word is. These guys are great. You girls are amazing at, at the conflict resolution. When you've got, we've got two imparters on our elder board, and dadgummit, we've needed them because we, you know, we get conflict, bring it. It's like they bring the temperature down in the room because they see and they can sense, and it is an enormous gift to us of imparting. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, we, we're departing of our very souls to you. It's not that they hate conflict. It's just that they love peace. And I'm telling you right now, in this world, what we need are a bunch of imparters bringing your gift of peace to us. And then there is this gift that it says administration or leading, depending on what version you've got. It's the Greek word speaks of guarding something. You are a protector of something. You're protecting people. You're protecting integrity. You're protecting the details. Motiman is our lead guardian around here. Uh, when we moved into this pandemic era back in March, even I remember I was like, why are you not more worried than you are right now? And he said, oh, I've already thought about all this stuff years ago. Like I've, I've already thought it's like, this is the worst that could happen. Well, I've already thought about it. And that's part of that gift is their ability to think about what could possibly go wrong. We joke that he does not sleep at night so that I can, because he's constantly thinking about what could go wrong. But that's a gift that guys, girls like me, we desperately need guardians in this world. People that can, uh, in it, like I would say, like, let's say visionary or uh, exhortation, encourager, you lead with yes, a guardian tends to lead with no. And it's not that it's no, it's just that I can't think about how we could get this done. They are not interrupting your fun. They're bringing you back to reality. You need a moment for that, Tammy? <laughs> yeah, you need that one. <laughs> and then the last one on this list is this idea of the gift of mercy. This is probably the strongest one on the list as far as the strongest personality because these folks are the ones that when there is a crisis, when there is a tragedy, they will run to the tragedy. I, I mean, I don't know how many rent, like burning houses you have ran into. I don't know how many accidents you have stopped on the road to help with. But if you ask David Christopher, he just thought that was normal. 
on, on the phone about a year ago. He was driving by Berry Farms, and there's smoke coming out of a house. And what does David Christopher do? He pulls into Berry Farms and runs in to see if everybody's okay. Who does that? Responders do. And they don't just go, they stay. When David Shindell walks to a hospital for to someone who's sick or in danger, he doesn't have to like muster up the strength to walk in that door. He just walks in because it's naturally who he is. He brings that kind of mercy, that kind of compassion. And we need that in a world that is scattering us. The gift of the responder helps to keep everybody back in where they're supposed to be seen and loved and accepted. These are the seven gifts. We need all seven of them. Jesus is the only one who ever lived who delivered all seven of these. If I could deliver all seven, not only do I not need you, I don't need Jesus. But I'm only one of them, and I assure you, mine is inadequate for most problems. You really can't teach, right, a crisis. into. We need people who are collaborators in that. I would have never... I promise you, ever started a church, had an encourager named Jamie George, had he not have kept pouring courage from him into me that this is what we were supposed to do. He transferred the courage. And by the time I had already done it and the courage was gone, I'm like, this was the dumbest thing I've ever done. What were we thinking? We were like six months in. But the courage that got me there, then God began to surround us again, like Bassanio's others who have brought courage into our lives. This is right now in our world. All seven of these are needed, not just in our church, but in every church around us. You discovering what it is. We're going to talk in a couple, of, like maybe this week or next week, we'll talk about it, uh, next week, I guess, uh, what it looks like even to deliver that gift and maybe that there's a little bit of healing that needs to happen in you in that way. Like you may have this gift, but you might have been wounded, so you might be acting really, really bad with it. You need some healing in it. Or you might be the other way around, that that person uh, is doing exactly what they're supposed to be, but it's hitting you wrong because there's some healing you need there and they need healing. And all of a sudden, Satan uses that to bring conflict into your life and into the church. And so why would this be what God would use to unite us? It's one reason. He says in verse 4 that it's the blood. You belong to each other. It says the members belong to each other. But how do you belong to each other? We belong to each other. in Like my pinky belongs to my big toe through the blood. The same blood that's going through my earlobe will go through my clavicle, will go through my calf muscles. The blood unites the whole body together. So when we say that one member belongs to the other, it's not property owning someone else's property. It is the blood. That's what unites us together. And when you put that metaphor into practice, there are days when I, I'm leading pretty good. There are days when I'm leading pretty medium. And there are days when I'm leading just terrible. Because I've stepped into a place where this gift that God gave me, I'm either being, what, what does he say? I've thought more highly of myself than I ought. Don't do that. Like I'm falling into that trap. I need empathy and patience in the same way that you do. But when I remember that the same blood that pays for my sin paid for your sin, I need the blood just as much as you do. And it's true, especially as a pastor. You've probably been let down by another pastor somewhere or 10, who knows. 
I'll probably find a new way to let you down. <laughs> I may not let you down in that way, <laughs> but maybe it'll be another way. But the same blood that I need is the same blood that you need, and that's how we can unite around this with the gospel. It's why I think our, whether it's our nation, Uganda, Pakistan, no nation can perfectly unite unless it's through the blood of Christ. Because it's only through the blood of Christ that I can look and say, I need the same Savior that you need. It's only through the blood of Christ that I can say that, look, I was so desperately wicked that nothing short of the death of the Son of God would save me. And I could also say that I am so loved, so pursued by God that he did it gladly. Christianity alone holds that belief and Christianity alone is what can unite a nation. And even if it won't, if we won't accept it in our nation, what we can do is unite in our church and in our churches. Because you know what, Mark Rampula, down at Southview Church, they might get to 1 Corinthians 12 and believe something a little bit different than we do. Charlie Weir up at Gateway might believe something a little different than we do about Ephesians 4. But that's not what we're uniting around. We're uniting around the gospel around the blood of Jesus. You belong to me. I belong to you, not as property, but based on the blood that flows through our body, direct from the veins of Emmanuel, God with us. These gifts. It was good, actually. These gifts, I did it in second service, so, are what God wants to use to unite us in this season. And by the way, if you want to, I forgot to do this in the other two services, but you're thinking, oh, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know. I don't know. First of all, just relax. We're going to talk about it for a couple weeks. Offer your life as a living sacrifice and then just go be who God created you to be. It's really not that complicated. But if you don't want to wait, uh, mylifegift.com, if you can remember that, mylifegift.com, uh, and there's a test on there. It takes like three minutes and it may give you a little insight into it. So for what it's worth, that's there for you. But stand to your feet. I want to get you out of here and I want to get you some time to get to the Sharpie to write your scripture. And by the way, teenagers, if I see any song of Solomon scriptures on there, I'm going to high five you. Um, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, be with my brothers and sisters. Thank you that, like, Lord, you saw this long before anybody saw Myers-Briggs or DISC or Enneagram or whatever. You were already saying and, and you created us in a certain way that we are energized when we live in that gift. And I pray, Lord, that as our church discovers what that is in each of us, that we will act in concert with each other as your body. The seven gifts, we are the Jesus response. We are the body of Christ to whatever ideas you have as the head. We implement those as your body. Lord, give us the courage to find this so that we can feed those who are hungry, so that we can continue to set slaves free. We can continue to be an impact in the world in front of us. We love you so much, Father. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.